You are listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, before I share this one, I do want to say thank you uh, for many of you reached out to me over the week and just asked how I was doing with my eye. And uh, I'll just uh, say 10 hours on a Saturday night in the emergency department is not a lot of fun, you know, getting home at five, after 5 o'clock in the morning, just like, wow, and uh, everything's apparently okay. Who knew that just a dry eye without anything in it could be so excruciating. I was about ready to, like, just whatever, take it out if you need to. Like, this is brutal, you know. So, anyway, everything's okay. I'm grateful for that. But truly, it's just so meaningful to have a church family that loves and cares, just practicing what we talk about, loving each other. Uh, so as you turn, take your Bible if you would, and go ahead and you can turn with me to Romans chapter 13. Dan, as I uh, was a trooper, I kind of hit him. I was sitting in, uh, in the urgent care. Kind of When you visit two emergency spaces in the same day, you know, you don't want to become frequent flyer miles, like, can you know, get references. But he was a trooper to jump in, and it's like, why did you give me, like, tell everybody to obey the rules and pay their taxes? You know, I'm like, I did not plan this, you know, not my fault. So go ahead and look at Romans 13, if you would. Well, it's really important as we share, you know, the last few uh, weeks that we've talked about in the next few chapters of Romans, it's really super important that we keep in our mind just the flow of what Paul's talking about. Romans was written, it's a letter to change your and my life. It's to... It's designed to point us to truth, to help us to know who God is, who we are as people, and to live differently as a result of that in our life. And if we're not careful, we can forget where we are in that letter among some things. And what Paul is talking about, really from chapters 12 all the way through the end of the letter, is he's helping us to understand what it means to live our life out of an overflow of a relationship with God in heaven. That God in heaven saved us, he changed us, Jesus Christ, his son, paid for our sins on the cross, and now that we have surrendered our life to him and we become a follower of his, everything in our life changes as a result of it, and there's implications. And so this morning, there's just two, two big implications that he's talking about, really kind of two big buckets of things that we as people should think about as we live our life, and it's simply that we should love one another as, we, as our video showed this morning, that the real core part of who we are as followers of Jesus is that we are to, we love God, but we're to love one another. And then as we just sang a moment ago, that we live our, in obedience to him, that there is a lifestyle that God calls us to. And so I want to share those two things simply with you this morning. So read with me, if you would, Romans 13, verse 8 and, and following. The Bible says this. Paul had just finished telling us not to owe anybody anything. Make sure you pay what's due, your taxes and all of that. Respect who you need to. Don't owe any people. And then he says in verse 8, he says, Don't owe, owe no one anything except to love one another. That's the only thing we ought to owe other people. So we love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. You literally can take all the Old Testament and all the Old Testament law and boil it down to one thing, Paul says. He says, you do that, and you've covered everything. He says, for the commandments, in verse 9, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Before I unpack that a little bit more, just what it means for us to love our neighbor as ourselves, I want to point out that the gospel, 
Romans 1 through 11, the gospel changes our lives. I know I've said that before. We talk about life change a lot. I will continue to, but it's important that we understand this before we look at, the, at this idea that we are to love one another and we are to live a, a lifestyle that's different, that's honoring to God in heaven. Because if we don't understand that the gospel changes our life, if we're not careful... We boil down all of these things that we talk about. It's just simply things that we're supposed to do. We almost make the Christian life like a behavior management kind of thing. And that's really not what it's about. You see, the gospel that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and that we are saved by him, that he redeemed us with his blood, our king gladly and willingly and voluntarily stood in our place, taking our punishment, taking our death, taking our eternity in hell upon his back, and he died and experienced our eternity of hell in that moment, as it were, on the cross, that he took all of our punishment, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our embarrassment, and when we surrender and we trust him as our Lord and Savior, we experience that grace, that good news gospel in our life, and that changes us and our life is then lived out as an overflow of that you see so often people just if we're not careful we boil the christian life down to almost like a just we need to manage our behavior we need to do a little bit better we need to make god happy with what we're doing i need to take care of this need to do that and we almost treat it like a, a workout regimen or you know like a goal we're trying to achieve or something we're trying to accomplish well, I'm going to work on this little thing I need to do better here yeah I kind of messed up there I'm going to do better than that and what we need to realize is that's not the core of what the Christian faith is all about is that God saves us and he transforms us it's a relationship think about it this way nobody should ever get married thinking about I'm just excited that now I'm married and I'm committing myself to this other person and I have a list of things that I now am supposed to do and make a relationship based on waking up every morning about all the do's and all the don'ts and all of the requirements and all of that and that's not a very fulfilled life you know that's if, if you are trying to fulfill somebody's expectations of all their things that's no fun in fact that's kind of horrible and if if you're busy handing out those expectations for them, that's not the basis of a relationship. It's actually the opposite. A relationship is based on two people committing to one another, caring for one another, committing themselves, and in a marriage relationship in particular, I'm thinking of in this situation, is it committing to keep their life together, and what's that commitment to love and care for is there, then all the other stuff just kind of naturally flows. That's really what the Christian life is, life is supposed to be. You see, we're in, a, in an era and a day and age where it's becoming a little more popular for people to kind of complain about people who follow the Bible or those followers of Jesus or those Christians or those, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And the complaint is, is well, they're just legalistic. They just require all these kinds of rules and things. And usually it's by people who've been raised in a home that mom or dad or mom and dad honored God and knew Jesus and wanted to, uh, to show that to the kids' lives. And so they wanted to live out that life. And the kid along the way, as they grew, made a, some sort of commitment to God, but really more here, not in their heart. And then they look back, but for them the Christian life was just trying to obey a bunch of set of rules. 
And they look back and they're like, why did mom and dad make us do all of these rules? And then they, they act like mom and dad were abusive and hurtful and harmful to them and so awful and ruined their lives and all of that. And truth of the matter is, is that they never really entered into a relationship with Christ. You know, if, if I were in a marriage relationship, and I thank the Lord that that's not mine, where a spouse just, what they cared about was just me doing a whole bunch of stuff, and that was the basis, I turned around and handed her all kinds of stuff, I wouldn't like that either. Like, I get it. Like, why are we just all about that? So the real problem is that all of the things that we do in our life, it's simply, it's out of that relationship that we have with God, that it's the gospel that changes us. And out of that gospel that changes us, it's not a legalistic set of things that we have to do, if you will. It's actually the gospel freeing us to, for the first time in our life to live the way God designed us. You know, birds, most birds fly. There are a few that don't, like ostriches. You and I are not going to be able to outrun an ostrich. So if an ostrich is after you, good luck. You know, have fun with that one. But God made birds to fly. And when a bird is caught in a net, it is not able to do that which it was made for. It's not able to fulfill its purpose. God made us as people for a relationship with him. He made us in perfect harmony. He made us living above the muck, living above the sin, living above the mess. And we plunged into it. And what the gospel really does is it's God taking us out of the net. It's God freeing us from the muck for the first time in our life that we are able to live free in a way that honors him and live free and leave this other stuff behind. And so before we talk about loving one another, before we talk about living a godly life, I want to make sure that we're on the same page that it's, this is God who saved us to free us to live this way. This is not, Paul is not saying, well, now you got the Old Testament, all these rules, I'm going to plot, put a whole bunch more set of rules on you got to do. And that's not what's behind this at all. It's that the gospel changes our life and God frees us to be able to live the life the way that he really meant it back when he first made Adam and Eve and made humanity. So that's the baseline. So the first really thing that he tells us in this, this passage is, is look, guys, we, you ought to love one another. Love your neighbor just as you should, that the whole of all that God says to do is to love each other. Love is first and foremost not a feeling. It's first and foremost a choice and an action. It's a decision that we make that says, I am going to love that person. I may not feel it exactly, but I'm going to make a choice to love them, and I'm going to follow through in that action. It is a, it is a, it's a verb. It's something that we do. It's something that is noticeable. It is something that requires an activity on our part, not something that we sit back passively, but something that that actionably moves from us towards somebody else. And God says we have a responsibility that we owe it to the people around us to love them. Now that can be a little overwhelming that everybody we interact with on any given day that we're supposed to love. 
It can be a challenge depending on our home situation, depending on our, our family, depending on even, you know, who we bump into at church. Let's be honest, you get a room full of people, not everybody connects and clicks with everybody around. And sometimes you're like, I just don't understand that person. Or that person's just irritating the way they, you know, they move or do whatever. Like, we're all quirky, right? We're, we're, we get that enough, right? Everybody, we're able to see and recognize those things. But we're to love those individuals. And no matter who we bump into, a couple of years ago, this just quickly hit me. I had been canoeing with my family for like three or four days. We'd been fishing and kind of come back out of the wilderness. And we were just getting to the point where to take the boats off, pack up, and go home. And so we were, we were getting out, and there were a couple of guys, I don't remember, maybe four of them, hopping in canoes, and they were headed out for their own grand little wilderness fishing adventure. And just as I was at the canoe, my family's, we were busy emptying our boats. One of the guys... You know, asked, noticed I had fish, and he's like, did you catch anything? I'm like, well, we caught some. He's like, hey, I forgot my pliers. When you, sometimes when you catch a fish, it's hard to get the hook out, and a pair of pliers that's helpful kind of keeps you from getting stuck yourself. He's like, do you have a pair I can have? Not borrow. <laughs> like, can you give them to me? Now, I got to admit, you're like, you walk up to a stranger, like, oh, I see. Can I just have that immediately in my heart? I'm like, no, dude, they're my pliers. Like, my dad gave me these pliers. I've had these pliers since I was 13 years old. Seriously? Like, I know there's not, they're just a piece of steel or whatever. But in my mind, I hear this whole thing, you know, Jesus saying, you know, if, if, if someone compels you to go with a mile, if they ask you your cloak, give them your coat as well, you know, loving your neighbor, all that. I'm like, sure. Because I'm sitting there and all my kids are watching. You know, like it was just me and him outside. I'm like, dude, go get your own pliers. Like, seriously? Yeah, I got pliers. 20 bucks. I'll give you a set of pliers, you know. I'm convinced, by the way, mom and dad, a lot of times things happen in our life because our kids are watching and God wants them to learn how to, to react. So I have a choice. In that spot, in that moment, am I going to love this guy? He could be, he could be sitting, he might be one of you. You're like, that was me. I didn't know that. I couldn't tell you what he looks like or anything after that. Handed him over, you know. We are called to show that love, that commitment to everybody. We, that's what we are to walk around in our life. What we owe the people around us. Now, I want us to recognize that that is not our nature. Jesus tells us this, or Paul tells us this, excuse me, because it's not an automatic thing. And he says, love your neighbor. Jesus is the one that started this. And Paul said, yeah, I agree with Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want us to recognize there's nothing in this passage or what Jesus said that is about you and me needing to love ourselves. I know that's popular. I've said this before. I'll continue to because it's such a pervasive misunderstanding and popular teaching and songs and music. And you listen to the Christian radio, and this will come up all the time. Look, every baby that was ever born loved themselves. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they're irritated. They cry when they're not getting what they want. Every human being on this planet has a baseline. I assure you, when I was sitting in the emergency department for 10 hours to be seen, six of them sitting there with my wife because my eye hurt so bad I couldn't open either eye and just like listening six hours just to everything. I'm like, I will gladly pay not only my $500 or whatever, I'll give you $2,000, $2, fix this, whatever you got to do. Like, 
I wanted care. I wanted some love, you know. That's, you and I love ourselves. That's why we get offended when somebody hurts our feelings. That's why we get depressed when things aren't working our way. That's why we get anxious and fearful because we're, we're nervous that something bad's going to happen our way. The whole point is that we do love ourselves. That's why we hurry up and make sure we don't get left behind. That's why all of the things, that's why we get jealous because we're not getting our share and all of those things. That's all of that. Our baseline is we do love ourselves. And what the Bible's telling us is, is that we need to now, the gospel saves us from our sin, and that love gets transformed from a self-centered, self-focused, selfish kind of love to now Jesus flips that on its ear because the gospel is God loving us when he didn't have to. And that same love and he imparts into our lives, he expects us to turn around and to love other people. To not think about, well, what's in it for me? Do they really deserve my love? Do they really deserve me being nice? Are they good enough? Is it... Is this okay? Is this right? Without us getting into all the, in the moment, the values decisions and all of the conversations like, well, they haven't really, they don't really deserve it. Look at all they've done to me. I'm not going to be nice to them. All of that, Paul is like, guys, I am transforming your love. The gospel transforms our love because it causes us to love others, to think about their concerns, to think about their needs to think about their desires rather than our own. And the rest of our life as followers of Jesus is you and me getting a chance to practice that, to learn that, and to get better at that, and to grow in that. And we will never be perfect at it, but it is something that is a choice and a commitment that we make in our life. It's really that kind of love is really best practiced and learned in the home environment. That's really what God, as he put Adam and Eve together, that is where that is most to be practiced. Sometimes that's the hardest because you know each other the best, right? You see all the flaws in the home better than anybody else. It is like a magnifying glass. When I was there with the ophthalmologist, I mean, they are dyes an eye on it, and they're just like looking right into it. That's what it's like when you live in that home, whether you're married or whether it's kids and parents. Like You see all of the flaws. You see all of the weaknesses. You see all of the issues. And we're still to love that person. We're still to love even though they are not perfect and even though there's flaws and even though there's all of that. And so God put us as, as in a family unit, put us together to model that, to learn that, to grow in that. When, when kids have been brought up in a home that didn't see that very well, they get a warped sense of reality. They get a warped sense of what's right and what's appropriate. Those, those, that kind of care and putting the other person first, when they've not seen that, and instead what they've seen is people kind of you know, jockeying for themselves and you know, tit for tat and all of that kind of going on, it's a struggle to learn it. The biggest blessing for the parents in the room, the biggest blessing that you can ever do for your kids is to help them to see modeled a love and a commitment between you as a mom and dad, if there's mom and dad together in the picture, and then an environment where that family, all of, where there, however many kids there are, I don't care if it's a, 
uh, if it's a, a blended family, you know, if there's you know, a more than one marriage and kids in there, but that there's a, a family of, of, of respect, of care, and of love in the middle of that, the best thing that you could ever do is, is that. We often, so too often, get focused on, well, I've got to have this, I've got to accomplish this, I've got to make sure my kids get this experience, this opportunity, and all of that. And let's just step back. You are knocking it out of the park if you are just simply creating a world that's day in, day out, regularly demonstrating the respect, the love, and grace that should happen. And then that love, that, that as we learn that and grow in that, the next ring, if you will, you know, you throw a rock in the pond, kind of that's the center of it. And the next one really is the church family. We as, you know, all of us have close friends who are outside of the church that we're ever a part of at any one time. But our church family is where that love gets expressed. Our spiritual family, where we care for one another spiritually in every which way. That's really what we're to model that and demonstrate that. And then the ring gets a little farther out, whether it's your workplace or the people you interact with more regularly, whether it's your neighbors. I don't know how your life rolls, but... You know, we're to love those, and then ultimately, whoever we bump into, whether it's, you know, on a fishing, canoeing, somebody asking something, or whether it's this next week, on not, not this Tuesday, but two Tuesdays from now at Talisintha, we're just trying to make ourselves available to be a blessing to the people, to engage in our community, to see where people are in real life, and to provide an avenue of conversation that God could use in their life to lead them to spiritual questions, whether then or whether later on in getting in connection with us, but that's our focus. It's simply all about the love. Now, I've noticed in our relationships, there's a red flag that should go off. Whenever we get in a situation where we're looking at that other person saying, well, they need to do this, and they need to do that, and they did this wrong, and they didn't do that right, and we start getting into those lists, for me, it's just about impossible for me to truly love that person. I'm not saying I need to be blind. I'm not saying I don't need to be aware of realities. I'm not saying be foolish. But when I'm communicating those things to the other person, well, you failed me here. You did this wrong. You didn't do that. And you did this. And you didn't do that. And, and here's where you're not meeting up to my expectations. In the middle of all of that, I'm not loving them. And so for me, the real check is, as much of this, you know, most of us say, well, I love people. I love my, you know, whoever, put it in a blank. But the real question is, is what would God say about our love? Is it genuine or not? And so to me, to kind of keep it honest, our, any relationship with God or with other people is not a checklist of actions and needs and all of those things that have been met, but it's simply our response to them regardless of where they are and what they're doing, that what is best in their world, what is for them, not what is for us. Second thing I want you to notice, what Paul talks about is not only are we to love one another, overarching, big picture, we now have a relationship with Jesus, we're on our way to heaven, he has saved us, what do we do? He doesn't hand us a manual, do all these million things, he says, oh, one thing, just love the people around you. Respond to them the way that you should. One simple thing. And then he gives us one more kind of a simple but a significant thing. And that's that the gospel transforms our lifestyle. He says basically live like you're a Christian. Look what he says in verse 11. He says this. Besides this, you know the time. 
that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. It's right here. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. In other words, give no place for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, we're saved and we're forgiven by surrendering our life to Jesus. That's, that's, we experience that salvation. And God says, now I've saved you. I've saved you to love not just me, but other people. And I've saved you to live a different lifestyle. And it's time to live differently. He's not telling us to, hey, you become a Christian if you love people and if you change your lifestyle, then you'll be acceptable to God. He's like, no, you can't be acceptable, God. All those things in Romans earlier on we talked about, we're all a mess, we're all a disaster, we've all got the free fall in our sin, but now that I've saved you, now you're free to love, and now you're free to live the way you should, not in the gutter, not in the mud, but it's time. Let go of some of those patterns. Let go of some of those things in your life and live completely differently because the salvation is near. It is right at hand. It is close by. The time has come. Wake up. Don't be sleepy. The night's gone and the day is at hand. My parents have lived in Florida. My mom grew up in Pensacola. They've lived in Florida together uh, last 30 years. They lived up in the north near us here, New England, that kind of thing, but they've been in Pensacola for a long time. So years ago, Susan and I would fly when we'd see them. I, we would try to see them once a year. Families are important. If your family's close by, value that and treasure that. I've not had that blessing in my life as an adult. And so we would always try to fly once a year to see them. And as the kids came along, they got a little more expensive. In fact, you know, at one point, I think the last time we flew as a family, Susan had just had our third child, so she had a newborn in her lap. I had a one-year-old in my lap, and we had a three-year-old in the seat in between us, because you can sit a two-year-old. Later on, I thought, I bet those poor people around us really regretted their seat choices that day, you know, flying with three little kids and all the pressure and crying and all of that. But thinking back, I'm like, we were just... Dumb, like that's crazy. Who flies with three little kids? But anyway, after that, we began driving to Florida, and from where we lived, it was literally 24 hours of straight driving. So, I mean, not including sleeping time. So, with you, by then, I mean, the time we were done, six or seven kids piling them into a van. I mean, who wants to spend two full days living in a van with six or seven kids? Before DVD players, before entertainment centers that dropped down, you know, and how many times you want to listen to the same lullaby song trying to lull kids asleep, you know. I don't tell one of my kids, but along the way, you know, shake your brother or sister, I'll come to sleep. After all, it's like they're not going to sleep, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, pretty sure shaking baby syndrome is kicking in. So anyway, you know, horrible, long trip, good memories, but anyway, but inevitably, as you get closer and you get down through Georgia and start getting into there and you go through Alabama where we're headed into the Florida panhandle, it's like, Grandmom and Granddaddy's house are close, less than an hour. 
You know, you get 10 minutes out, all right, kids, get your shoes on, wake up, we're almost there, you know, just get ready. We've been two days or whatever, but we are here. That's what Paul is telling us right now. He says, look, guys, I know you've been going at this a long time. And I know that you've gotten sleeping, you've gotten drowsy. I know it's been a long trip living your life. I know there's been hardships. I know this has been a, an unreal thing. But he's like, wake up and recognize that we're closer to our salvation today than ever before. Realize and be aware of this. The salvation he's talking about is not our conversion. It's not our initial salvation. It's our final salvation. It's when you and I ultimately experience all of the grace and all of the, not the forgiveness, but all of the changing in our bodies. He's talking about heaven. He's like, we are close. And so now because we're close, get ready. Get alert. Get your shoes on. Be ready. Live differently in your life. Because... Heaven is so near to us. And there's, there should be a complete shift in our thinking. Sometimes we get lulled to just, well, okay, I'm a Christian, now what? Okay, same old, we just kind of go through life. And Paul is just like, no. Live a transformed, changed lifestyle. Don't, be, don't allow yourself to fall into the gutter of the sins in the world. In fact, get out of those things. You see, that's the difference. The gospel, for the first time, frees us. Instead of being chained and stuck in that, he says, now you actually can live differently. I saved you out of that muck. I didn't, you're not pigs to be going and living in the middle of that. Get out of that. Live a life that I've made you to be that's free to honor me. Live differently. And then he gives us a very clear picture of what this is, a picture that was clear 2,000 years ago and it is today. He's like, avoid all of the drunken orgies. Avoid all of the, 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 the reveling and the carousing and all of the messes. And people are getting together and getting drunk and all of the sexual mess and all of that. He's like, get out of that stuff. That's not for you. I didn't make you for that. That's, that's, that's not what you should be doing. In fact, he kind of, even to go further, it's like, get out of even all the sensuality. You know, I think one of the things as young adults are trying to figure out, well, how far can I go and still be, you know, okay with God, you know, physically, sexually. And God's like, Paul's like, stay out of all of that. That's none of that. None of that is your world. Stay out of the sensual evenness of it that, that, the marriage that is what God's design is to be the relationship of a man and a woman together and marriage is where God had designed all of that relationship, all of the, the pleasure and all the expression of that. God made us sexual beings. And he designed us with all the incredible things of that. But he's like, look, it's a channel. And just like a river and it stays within its channel, it's a powerful and amazing thing. But when it gets out of channel, it causes flooding and it causes destruction and it causes death. And so Stay in that lane, if you will, because that's the design that God has made. And he said, that is the, the disaster. That's the darkness that I saved you from to pull you out of that. I saved you to pull you out of the quarreling and just the conflict and the jealousies and all of the social mess that, that happens with people living selfishly and living for themselves. So he calls us to a transformed lifestyle. Now, I want you to notice that the lifestyle that we're to live is the one that he approves of. Look at verse 13. There's kind of a key word here. He says, let us walk properly. 
as in the daytime. We are to live properly. Most people don't want to be told today what's proper, right? Well, that's proper. Well, who says? Well, ultimately, God is the one that tells us what's proper. We all know you can't go online and Google what's proper, right? <laughs> that's not going to be a very good answer. You can't turn to your friend and ask, well, is this proper or not? That's not going to be a good answer. You really can't even ask yourself because you're going to get it wrong sometimes because you deep down, just like me, are sinners, and we're going to call something proper. Well, that's no deal. Why can't I do that? And God's like, because I said so. <laughs> not because you said so. It's because I said so. And so we are accountable in how we live with a lifestyle before God in heaven. Now, we live in a world that likes to tell us what's proper, and that's part of the cultural wars that's going on right now because they're telling Christians that, well, you're not thinking or believing what's proper when we think it is proper and you think it's not proper. But what matters ultimately is God's opinion on all of these things. So if you want to know if something is okay or is appropriate or not, I don't care whether it comes to the clothes you wear, to how you spend your money, to what you spend your time on, to where you go, to what you do. If you want to know what is appropriate in any of it, is let's open God's word and see what God's word says. And let's see. And then as a secondary, this is far more secondary, it's significant, I would look around the world and say, well, what do other people who believe God's word and trust in Jesus, and what do they kind of recognize collectively as is proper? And if you're thinking something's okay and appropriate and it's way different than that, then you probably have a problem. You're probably not doing something you should not be doing. And God says he's not, he's not shaming us. He's not like, how dare you, and I can't believe. He's not scolding us. He's just saying, look, I saved you. I changed you. You were an addict to sin, and I broke that addiction. Why in the world are you going back to that? You were you are, you are hooked on this, and that's been your world. And I came, and I saved you, and I not only forgave you of that sin, but I broke the power that that sin has over you. You are no longer addicted, so come out of that stuff. You don't need to be in the middle of that. I've got something far better for you. I've got something that is much more fulfilling, much more satisfying, something far more effective, something so more helpful and a blessing in your life. But leave that lifestyle. Don't dishonor me. And it's so easy for us to fall into even as, as followers of Jesus because we, we struggle with this, but we're forgiven of our sin that moment. When we surrender our life to Jesus, I mean, God, as we talked about earlier in Romans, has done some things in eternity past for us, and those things carry through, but we get to experience in real time in our life when we recognize our sin and we surrender to Jesus, when we move from just believing in God to then believing and surrendering to Jesus and what he did, that's when we are born again. That's when we are saved from our, our sin in that moment. And we're still not perfect. We still mess up and we still live, struggle with sin. But God from that moment just, he pulls us up out of it. It's almost like we're stuck down in the mud and he just starts working the wheel. He's got a rope around us and he's pulling us up. 
And what he's saying is to stop trying to pull on the rope to go back down into it. Like, could you help a little bit? Could you grab a little handhold along the way? God does the heavy lifting, but he says, hey, come out of that. Come live differently. And it's so easy to fall into. That's what happened to King David. I was reading through First and Second Samuel in my quiet time, and I read this past week of how he, you know, he sinned with Bathsheba. He stayed home from war. He's out on his rooftop. He looks over. Not too far away, apparently, he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. No indoor plumbing, all right? So I guess it would be normal. I don't know. But why she didn't have a privacy screen, I don't know. No idea, but, you know, instead of walking away saying, whoa, <laughs> he said, wow, she's nice. And then he did the next stupid thing. He invites her over, and then he does even the next stupid thing. She's a married woman, and her husband's off at war, and he sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. And he tries to hide it. And when David's finally confronted by Nathan, if you know the story, it's a, it's a powerful story. When Nathan finally confronts the king, he tells David, he says this, you have greatly scorned the Lord God of heaven and what you did. Scorned him. You see, this whole picture of what Paul is telling us about our sexuality and about even how we live and relationships outside of marriage, we think that it's just our bodies and it doesn't matter. We can do whatever we want. We actually are making God a mockery. When we have those relationships outside of marriage, before marriage or whether we're married or not is irrelevant. When we go down those roads, we are mocking, we are scorning the God of heaven. And we are dishonoring him. And God's like, that is not what I designed you for. Your sexuality is for a man and a woman and a covenant of marriage when there is complete trust and respect and care and love. And that's where that is the most beautiful and amazing experience. Instead of anything beyond that, it's just kind of a passing through thing. Or even if there's a commitment, but apart from that marriage commitment, it's temporary. And so... He calls us to a different lifestyle to live differently. So guys, at the end of the day, the gospel saves us. Jesus changes our life. And out of that life, he says, love other people and live differently. It really, it's really what our Christian life boils down to. Love him out of an overflow of that. That's what our worship is about. That's what our service is about. That's what our relationships to each other are all about as to what would be helpful and caring and appropriate for that person. What do they most need? If it's confrontation because of sin, then do it. But do it caringly. <laughs> do it because you care about them, not because you're ticked off or mad or irritated. Love them. And live differently. We're in a world where living differently today is going to be more and more noticeable. In fact, you would just about have to be a hermit to be at work with other people and people not to pick up on there's something different about you. If they don't pick up that there's something different about you, then you're either being really quiet about your faith or maybe they just really don't know much of anything about you or you're not around each other, you know. But they, they pick up on how you treat people. They're going to pick up on how you talk to people, whether it's on the phone. They're going to pick up on how you act if you're going out to having lunch together or if you're after dinner, if you're what, or after work going for dinner. They're going to pick up on that. It's impossible to not live differently. 
And if people aren't picking up on your faith and somewhere along the way, you need to look in the mirror and say, well, God, am I really living differently if my world is looking like the things around me? And so I don't know what you needed to hear this morning. Maybe it's just simply that God saved you and your faith is not about rules, that it's about a love relationship. Maybe that needed to encourage you. Maybe you've been struggling to love a particular person and God is kind of like right between the eyes. Maybe your spouse has been telling you, like, I think you need to love them. You're like, you know, I don't want to. I don't know. Maybe you've been playing in the mud a little bit. Mud pies are for kids, not for adults, not for Christians, right? God doesn't want us in the middle of that mess. Then our responsibility is to make no provision for that, no plan for that. Don't make a pathway for that. If you've got a habit that you're struggling with and you know your habit is this and you're trying to deal with it, say you need to go to God, say, forgive me, Lord. I don't want to do that anymore. And you repent. That's what repentance is. God, help me. Then the repentance gets completed when you get rid of the first step before you get into X. Or you deal with that. Maybe it's doing something with your phone that you should not. Then maybe you commit to use your phone differently or to put it down or not bring it in the bedroom with you to maybe there's something else in your world that you just say you know what I'm going to cut that relationship off because that's just not that there's danger down that road but he says make no pathway make no plans make no intentionality to give in to those sinful desires of your heart because they're there if you make a if you make a place for it you will go right back down into the mud. He says, guys, live differently. Pursue me. Live a lifestyle that I've called you to. So whatever God has spoken in your heart this morning, won't you respond to him? Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for the Lord Jesus that saves us out of our sin and out of our muck. Thank you that he transforms our life. Thank you that he transforms our love from just a selfish love that we're born into naturally in this world but to a selfless love that we can genuinely care about what's best for the other person. Lord, none of us in this room do that perfectly. All of us could stick our hand in the air being guilty of not doing that well enough. But Lord, what you're trying to do this morning in our hearts is not to make us um, just guilty or add more things to a list to do, but to help us to genuinely take stock in the people around us and whether or not we're genuinely loving them unconditionally as you loved, or are we making them earn our loving response. So, Father, help us to not do that. Help us to love the way Jesus did, and help us to live a lifestyle that's different, that's not weird, but that is honoring to you, not scornful or making a mockery, not going back to the things that you freed us from. And help us, Father, to live differently, I pray, Jesus. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.